Good morning to all of you. You might think this morning that I'm a little crazy doing a resurrection sermon at this time of year. Usually that happens at Easter, right? Usually we have a resurrection sermon on Easter. Well, or you might be thinking, well, he's doing a resurrection sermon because he was gone last week, didn't have time to prepare one, so he pulled one out of his file, and now he's doing that. You might think that. Neither would be true. Because I'd like for you this morning to look at something the Apostle Paul was, and I imagine when he wrote this and put this down, it wasn't Easter weekend. I imagine that when he wrote and shared this with us, he wanted us to notice as it stood by itself importance of it. So if you would open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15, if you have one of our Bibles we provided, it's on page 801. But 1 Corinthians 15, as we look at this passage together, I'd like for you to notice what Paul is saying and sharing with us in 1 Corinthians 15. You have it? You look there? Beginning with the first verse, now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you received and on which you have taken your stand, meaning I have taken my stand of faith. And to take their stand of faith was not something easy. For them to take their stand and to be able to be stand as a Christian in a society which did not accept Christianity as a legalized religion, Judaism or worship of the emperor was all that was allowed. And so that conflict, that raging thing that went there, when they took their stand to be a Christian, it sometimes risked their lives. So he said, uh, what you have received in the church of Corinth, which will you do to take your stand? Verse 2, by this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain if you're believing something else. And he said, for I have received, please stop right there, for I have received. Well, where did he receive what? And what did he get? It's important to understand this passage about Paul as he's writing, how in the world did he get there? What was he sharing with them? So he shares with us that, first of all, he had his interaction with the apostles. Now, they taught him and shared with him their experience of walking with Jesus, talking about the apostles, the disciples, who had walked with Jesus. They shared with Paul because Paul was not part of their group. Paul was the persecutor of Christians. And it was on the Damascus Road, if you recall the story of how Paul became a Christian, that he met and face-to-face with Christ as Christ revealed himself from heaven to Paul. And he asked Paul, why are you kicking against? Why are you doing this? And he was converted on that road. He says that is his calling to apostleship, was on the Damascus Road. I've often thought about that experience of which he did on the Damascus Road. I've often thought about, and looking at that, that what how far God would do and what he would do in order to get Paul to respond to him, how much it would take to get him to respond. It took him to blind him with blight on the road. Now, if you go with me to the Middle East, we'll show you where this happened. Advertisement. Second part, he said, he learned it from the scriptures. Paul learned he was a scholar of the scriptures. And so he learned the gospel story from the scriptures, as we will see in a moment. And he also learned it from the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Because you cannot truly come to an understanding of Christ, understanding of what he did, without the Holy Spirit revealing it to you. Have you caught on to that yet? You should understand that. Verse 3, therefore, here we go. For what I passed 
on, what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Please notice this. For that what I received I passed on to you as absolutely of first importance. First importance. Why is this so important? Why did he, in all of his writings, why are the things that Paul said to This is absolutely the most important thing. And then he went on to say three things enable that importance to you. The first one is that Christ died for our sins. That is the very heart and soul of what is taking place. Second, he goes on to say, and he was buried and he was raised according on the third day, according to the scriptures. Now, the scriptures that Paul was reading were out of the Old Testament. He didn't have the New Testament. It wasn't written yet. In fact, as he was penning these words, he was writing the New Testament that you have in your hand. So he all he got was the Old Testament. From the Old Testament, he was able to discern and to look and to see that Christ was to come and he was to die, he was to be buried, and he was to be resurrected. And where did he get that? Not from the gospel story. The gospels were not written. So so he got the story from the scriptures. He read it in the Old Testament. I'm often intrigued by, by that. The people say, well, we believe all of the New Testament. You're missing the great story of the Old Testament. So Paul told to us, this is the most important truth. The most important. If we were to boil it down and say, what, of all the things that we teach, all the things that we get from Scripture, all the things, if we could boil it down to the most important thing, it would be that. It would be those consequences, those things that he said. Therefore, I would encourage you, if you do, I underline this particular passage in my Bible. Because I want to be able to open up it in my Bible and to be able to read it. And look and quickly find the most important thing. Make a mark in there. So in my Bible, I marked it. The most important thing is death, burial, resurrection. He goes on to say in the next verse, he said, And he appeared, Jesus appeared to Cephas or to Peter and then to the twelve. He's not trying to describe the order. But he was important for him to come and to appear to Peter. Remember, it was Peter who denied the Lord. So it was important for him to come, and he restored Peter. That's why Paul mentions, specifically, he mentions Peter, Cephas. And then he appeared to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at that time, same time. Most of them are still living, though some of them have fallen asleep at the time at which he was writing. We believe, we don't know when this particular reference that he's talking to about, because it's not recorded in the Gospels. We don't know when this great meeting happened that he had. But we think there's a hint of it in Matthew 28, verse 10. We think that there's a suggestion that he, that's what he's talking about, what Matthew is talking about. This gathering with, with 500 of the, of the church family, those of us who believed had gathered, and those that had come together, they were the ones who saw him alive and make testimony to that. And so as he goes on and shares with this, those women, it talks about the women that were gathered there, the women and the men who came, they were those who could give testimony to what they saw. And so the resurrection, the story of the resurrection, being told of what he is basing his 
Therion, the, the death, burial, and resurrection, which this section is saying is the most important, the most important thing. He's saying it has been witnessed not only by Peter, not only by the apostles, but by 500 or more of the followers as well who saw this with their own eyes. And most of them were alive at the time that Paul was writing that. That's the testimony that he's gathering and given. Now, I, I really want you to follow this closely today. Because most say, oh, I already know that. <laughs> I already know about that. Yeah, I know that. So we kind of go on. And we miss, we miss what's so important. So please follow along, would you? Verse 12. But if it is preach that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? That is a very good question. It indicates to us that there were some in the church of Corinth that were sharing, believers, that were saying that Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead. Now, where in the world were they getting that? What was the thought? Well, we don't know because Paul didn't explain it. But if we just kind of look a little bit at the background of it, we might suggest that, well, perhaps some of them were denying the actual body resurrection because the Greek influence was already strong in the church of Corinth that the body was separate from the soul. They were already wondering about that, that when a person died, that their spirit left and went up. And that's very much came out of Greek thought, not out of uh, Christian theology. Came out of Greek thought. And so it was taken into the church because it was thought of, isn't that a terrible thought? When your loved one dies, they are asleep until Jesus comes. Well, wouldn't you rather have them with Jesus right away? It was that kind of thinking that went on. And that's what the Greeks were teaching. But also the Sadducees as well, and the ways and they call them Sadducees is because they didn't believe in any type of resurrection. It was just this life. So we don't know specifically from this passage which one he was talking about. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter which one. Now, you remember the story, if you're familiar with the Bible, about Thomas the Doubter. And why we label him Thomas the Doubter is because John tells us in the story, in the Gospel of John, that as Thomas heard that the Lord had been resurrected, said, I will not believe. I think you guys are all a ghost and you're seeing things and you're making things up and we went through a terrible weekend. I will not believe, he proclaimed, I will not believe until I can put my hand in, in the side, in his side, and I can put, feel the holes where the nails were in his hands. I will not believe until I see that. And in the last chapter, uh, that John, excuse me, chapter 20 of John, he writes and shares with them that he came and he saw that and Jesus said, come, put your hands in there and see that I am. And that incredible statement that Thomas made was, my Lord and my God. He recognized that he had actually seen the physical body resurrected. That there it was in front of him. Standing there. How he got in the room. Because the room was locked, the Bible says. But he was, there Jesus was standing and he, he could touch him. Feel him. Realize that he was real. That this was no ghost. Now, that story, when I get to heaven and get a chance to meet Thomas, I'm not going to say, oh, you're Thomas the doubter. Please, please don't do that. But we'll say, Thomas. Thomas, bless his heart, help me in my faith. 
And I want to thank him. Your statement about, I won't believe until I touch. Now I believe in Thomas's witness. Because he had to be convinced, you see. Because it wasn't logical. It wasn't what could possibly happen. But you need to know this. That the writings of Paul all predate the writings of the Gospels. So all of the writings that Paul had and wrote to all the churches and all that he pinned down were written before any of the gospel was written. So he did not have Thomas's story to read in, in the 20th chapter of John like we do. He heard it from Thomas himself. Heard the thing going on back to verse 12. So, if it is, but if it's preached that the God, uh, Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Which we said was a good, good question. Because the very theological thing is mutually exclusive. Mutually exclusive. Now, we, uh, we in our world talk about evolution and God. And, uh, and there's a term going around, theistic evolution. Have you heard of that? Theistic evolution. The problem with theistic evolution is they are two opposites that can never come together. Evolution and creator can never come together. It's a nice trying to thing to patch it up. But the theology behind it, the understanding of God, are mutually exclusive. Now, it doesn't matter that we see some things transforming in our world. But I'm talking the concept of the creation of the world and God speaking the world in existence cannot be mutually bound up and gathered with the idea of theistic evolution. It doesn't work. And so, therefore, Paul is sharing with them that this argument that Jesus didn't raise from the dead will not work because it's mutually exclusive to the facts of what happened. So if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ is raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. The importance of the resurrection cannot be diminished. The importance of the resurrection to you and to me is crucial to our understanding about Christ. You can have the death and the burial. But it is the resurrection that brings Christianity alive. And without the resurrection, we're all in trouble. We'll just go on. He reads in verse 15. He says, moreover that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised, he said. Verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. See, they're mutually exclusive. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. What? Here's the important, here's the important part. How is it possible that we could still be in our sins? Christ died and was buried without the resurrection. Paul makes the argument, you have to have the resurrection. No resurrection, there is no forgiveness of sins. Because the victory was not achieved. 
It was a victory over death. See, the wages of sin is what? Death. The wages of sin is death. In order for you to have victory over the wages of sin, you must have someone who breaks the bonds of death. And without the resurrection, without Christ coming from the grave, there is no forgiveness of sin. Verse 18, then, those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If there is no resurrection from the dead, then, they never will come up. I'm looking forward to the day when Christ will come and call my family, loved ones, members of my church that I bury, those people who are known and loved, call them from the grave. Can you imagine that day? Verse 19, if only for this life, For this life, without a hope of eternal life, without a hope of a resurrection, if it's for this life we hope in Christ, we are all people most to be pitied. Christ's victory is our victory. Christ's victory is our victory. Without his victory, we have no victory. Christ's victory is that and is freely given, a free gift to us. It is a gift. The great victory of Christ is the gift of grace. Grace. So, understanding grace, perhaps, for me, I know it was, maybe for many of you, might be the most difficult thing to grasp. And this passage, therefore, is extremely important to understanding that grace. Grace is God doing for you that which you cannot do yourself. God doing for you. I was a pastor before the concept of grace really hit me. And came to an understanding of, oh my, look what Christ did for me. And therefore he moved from being the son of God and Christ on the cross to being Bill's friend. Before he was not my friend, he was my judge. But once I understood what Paul was talking about, the grace of God, I was able to understand then that he became my friend. And so it's a friendship with God that I get because of his grace to me, because of his resurrection from the dead. That when he went to the cross and paid for my sins, he was resurrected. This is why Paul said, this is of first importance. Of all the things that we could teach, of all the things that are important that we say, of all the things that are part of understanding who God and Jesus is, this is the heart. This is the most important, of first importance, the burial, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. The most important truth. Paul said this is the truth of which we all must recognize. It is the truth that is at the heart of it. My father once told me, privilege is the power to open doors in my life. However... That all changed the day I met a man who had great power, but 
denied all privilege. He didn't ride in with fanfare and processional. He didn't ride in at all. He walked like everyone else. But he wasn't like everyone else. He touched the people that no one else would even look at. He ate meals with people that others felt only disdain for. Over time, I came to know him. Yeah, I followed him at a distance. I didn't speak up when they talked nonsense about him. I thought I loved him. But I wouldn't even step out of the shadows to follow him. My fear kept me paralyzed. Can I stay in the shadows any longer? Afraid of what people will think of me? He's dead. On that cross. At Golgotha. His body. Just hanging there. Waiting. For a soldier to take him down. And throw him in a pit to be buried with criminals. But I will not let that happen. Pilate could kill me just for asking for the body. It may cost me everything. If I get Pilate's permission, then I will go get his body and place it in my tomb. I must I must do this one thing for him. At least this one thing. This is my tomb where I was supposed to be buried. And today, it will be used. Jesus will fill up the grave meant for me. Joseph Arimathea certainly had that view of taking and putting Jesus in his own grave that was made for him. And Jesus resurrected from that grave. The resurrection from the grave, he paid for that death. He paid, he paid for Joseph Arimathea. Just as he paid for all of us. Well, that grave would await for us because of our sins. Christ went there ahead of time and was resurrected. But, the scriptures say, he goes on, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For the death came by, through men and the resurrection of the dead comes from, through a man as Adam has all died. Excuse me, as in Adam all die. So in Christ will all be made alive. That is why we worship him. That is why. And that's why Jesus becomes our friend. Because he laid down his life that we might have it. So therefore, we look at this and our hope relies 100% on the reality of Christ's resurrection. His coming from the grave 
then gives us hope. Gives us hope. Paul, in another place in Ephesians, went on to say, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and not, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, a gift of God, not of works, so no one can boast. We will not be standing in heaven and say, I was there because I was the pastor of the Naples Seventh-day Adventist Church, and that's why I'm here. The Lord will say, the reason you're here, Bill, is because I paid for you. I covered your sins. Great that you pastored there, but it's my blood that secured your place. My blood. Now, there are many ways to find Jesus. There are many pathways, and we use all different kinds to help and encourage people to find their way to Christ. Sometimes it's through music. Sometimes it's through our teaching. Sometimes it's through our medical work. Sometimes it's our call porter work. There's just all kinds of avenues, all kinds of doorways, but they all ultimately lead up to this one thing that they, we want everyone to come to find what is of first importance. First importance. That is what really matters. What really matters. Well, I was growing up, I remember as a child, that we would sing the song, He Lives. Many, maybe many of you remember that song, He Lives. I serve a risen Savior who is in the world today. I know that he is living, but whatever men may say. Uh, and the chorus, we would sing and sing and sing, He Lives, He Lives. And we sang that song, and it's true. It is true. But the resurrection, it secures God's grace for all who believe. It secures it. It makes it possible. Today, today you may be out of a relationship of love with Christ. Perhaps you are in a place, in a position where, you know, I'm not close to Christ like I should. Perhaps it's a misunderstanding of what Christ actually has done for you. And if that is the case, then you need to make that journey. Because if you make the journey and understand grace as it really is in its purest form, it will bring you great joy. And it will bring you freedom from the burden that you carry around. The grace of Christ is sufficient for you to cover you, to save you, and so you can be a friend of God as well. If you need to do that, please, let's talk. It took me a while to understand how grace of Christ worked. I was trying to mix, yes, he saved me from my sins, but I was trying to say, well, God kind of grazed on the curve, and he... He would kind of accept me. I know there are a lot of people ahead of me, but maybe I can squeeze by. There are no squeezing by to get into heaven because it's all been secured by Christ's blood. You love him. Whosoever believeth in him should not what? Should not perish, but have everlasting life. The great grace of Christ living in a grace-filled life fills us with joy. Because we have a friend in God. Dear Lord, I thank you for that great truth. Ah, as we see that of first importance, 
We see there the death of Christ on the cross, the burial and the resurrection. Those three steps all together as Christ paid for us, that gracious act that he gave to us, secured for us. We offer nothing in return. We only just can give him our hearts and believe in him. And accepting the reality of what he did on the cross. Because it was witnessed by so many, the testimony is so clear. So I thank you, Lord, for writing that and inspiring Paul to write those words of the most important thing is to see the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord that we might have life and have it more abundantly in him. I ask, Lord, that you help those who are still struggling to try to find a relationship, a friendship with you, to see you as something more, to see you something more as just Jesus up in heaven, but to see a relationship of true friend who saved us from the horrors of this world. I thank you for that, and by your grace, fill us in Jesus' name. Amen.